Good evening. How are we? It's always a, an honor to stand before you and preach the gospel. I've, I've really enjoyed as we transition from the gospel of Mark into Paul's letter to the church of Colossae. I think uh, it's been really helpful uh, or really just healthy for our church. Um, we, we talk about a lot how scripture can be uh, prescriptive or descriptive. Um, and what that means as far as it just is it stating historical fact or is it laying out ways that we uh, should live uh, and what I love about studying Paul's letters are they are just full of just deep sound theology of saying like how we should live but before we go into that I want to address the fact that these lights are really great but I have noticed as the time it is regardless of how it feels outside and I think the best description of how it felt was probably by Jessica Glitz saying it just feels like someone's breathing on her. That's why it feels like outside. But as time changes, it goes, I feel like it's almost stand up. Like we're getting close to, I need to be a lot funnier. Uh, but I hope that the lighting is helping us. I hope that this is um, beneficial to, to the focus of where we're at. But uh, as I move on to like what Paul's letter, what it, what it means for us to to just to dive in, for us to just take hold of what he's teaching us. Um, last week was really, I think, um, for me at least, uh, where we're, depending on where you are in your life or what struggles have hit you yet, or if, or if God has blessed you with a struggle-less life, I think everybody deals with struggles, everyone deals with adversity, but depending on where you're at, it may, get, it may be hard for you to have someone preach at you to say, hey, take joy in your struggle, or struggle well. Um, I know for me, there are a lot of parts of my life that if you would come to me and said, Hey, Tim, just struggle well. I wish you would just struggle with a smile on your face. Like, that would have been enough for me to lose it. That would have been enough for me to say, like, I don't want to hear about that. It sounds uh, disingenuous. It doesn't sound authentic. It sounds like we're just smiling for the sake of smiling. And I, I don't want us to ever fall into the trap of Paul calling us to be a fake Christian. Paul is in no way saying, uh, grin and bear it or put on a facade at church so it appears that you're struggling well. Uh, Paul is very much calling us in this section to say, hey, understand what drives you. Understand what anchors you. And last week, Paul did a really good uh, job of saying, hey, we are anchored in the hope of Jesus Christ, and that allows us to struggle well. We don't struggle well just simply because we we uh, go to church or, or we, we are a, a faithful member of a church. We struggle well because God affords us that opportunity because of the hope He gives, because of the peace He gives. And, and last week we covered how all true joy comes from God. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness can fail you. Happiness means something different to everyone in this room. But joy comes from the one true triune God that we all serve. Our hope is found in God. When, when Paul writes in Romans that God is the creator of hope, but also the sustainer of hope, that is what he's clinging to. And that is where we find ourselves today. Because as we struggle well for the cause of Christ, um, we, we, we find more out about our faith. We found more um, about who we are as believers. If you, if you find a believer who is sold out and radically devoted to, to the cause of Christ and what he believes, you will find someone that's in the process of spiritual formation. And really, so last week's passage um, is really a, a, a combination or maybe even part A of today's part B. So a lot of times um, how uh, 
Colossians is broken down, um, that these passages are married really well because Paul is calling us to do two things for the same reason. He is calling us to struggle well and to be unified in love because of the cause of Christ. Um, So I will refer a little back to last week as we move forward, but it's important to understand that the why matters. So Paul last week called us to struggle well in the hope and joy of God. And today he's going to call us to be unified. He's going to call us to be knitted together for the love of Christ. And both of those things are synonymous. Both of those things um, are, are, are correlated because of uh, they're, they're uh, brought about by the same thing. They are ignited by the same thing, which is us having a, a firm foundation on our salvation in Jesus Christ. And through that, understanding the hope that is offered to us by God. All right, so without further ado, if you will stand, we're going to read from Colossians 2, 1 through 5. I'm going to read it out loud. Uh, and there are Bibles uh, sprinkled about. So if you don't have the Bible, grab that one. It's yours, and it will be behind me on the screen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Lucidia, and for all who have not seen me face to face. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the fullness of assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see you in good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to pray over us, and then we're going to dive in. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have as believers just to come together as your sons and daughters and just to fellowship well, that we're able to love on each other, that we're able to check in with each other, and we're able just to do life together. And I am especially grateful for the idea that we get to do life together, and as a part of that life, we get to corporately come together, open up your word, and work through your Scriptures, God, I'm thankful uh, for your faithful servant, Paul, who, who penned this letter that we may, in 2018, read the riches of his theology, the riches of your word, and maybe apply it to our lives so we may come one step closer to you. God, I pray for the next few minutes that all distractions would be out of this room and that we would solely focus on you. I pray that the Spirit would come and that the Spirit would move. Amen. All right, so Paul's calling us to some pretty heavy stuff, and we're just now getting into chapter 2. Um, when we teach, and when, when me and Jay have our teaching meetings, and when the staff gets together and say, where do we want to go? Um, every time we have that meeting, uh, maybe I don't know if it's selfishly, or maybe I'm just looking out for my own specific ministries or my lane, but every time someone's like, I want to go here, my gut reaction is, can I teach that? Like, can I, can I open that up? Like, I love Mark. Um, uh, I loved teaching through Mark. Um, and I actually didn't pick Mark. That was, that was a Stephen pick. But I, I affirmed it and I liked it because the gospel is, is much, very much a story with, uh, with theology sprinkled all through. So as far as teaching, you just go chapter by chapter and everything kind of works out. And it's, a, it's really a linear story that most of you are very comfortable with. You didn't have to break a lot out. You had to just kind of just keep everything on pace. And I remember sitting there when we were saying, what is next for our church? Where is God calling us to go? Um, 
And, and, and we landed on Colossians, and we thought, this is a beautiful letter. Um, and we've talked about why, but more specifically because of its applicableness to 2018. For the fact that, like, yes, this was, this was pinned for a specific church, but because it is, it is the, the, the breath of God, because this is a, a living scripture, because this was uh, pinned uh, by a triune God who knows all and sustains all, it is as applicable to the first generation leader in the church of Colossae as it is to Trinity Church 2018. And we love that about it, but uh, I will admit, maybe selfishly or just the fear of me being a very young pastor, hey, can I break down Colossians for this group? Can I? Because I knew, um, I never taught Colossians before, but I knew after reading it multiple times that Paul calls us to some serious things, and, and in doing so, he hits us where we live. So the beautiful thing about Paul is he calls it like he sees it. He's a, he's a very uh, prolific writer. He's very popular, but he, he's popular because the things he says resonates with people's souls. Like when he says stuff, we know it's true. He, he comes from a place of truth, and he is calling us to be a better version of ourselves for the cause of Christ. And, and we're, we're going to dive into some of that. We're going to dive into some of that where we're saying, like, man, what you are calling me to do is absolutely the right way of living life is absolutely what I know to be true in accordance to my faith and what I believe as as a son or daughter of God but it is the hardest thing you could possibly ask me to do and Paul comes alongside us and says I want you to do these because it's the healthy way for the believer it's a healthy thing for the church and it's what we've been called to do so like last week we said suffer well and but he, he said it in a way that we with authority because he was suffering while he was pinning the letter and today he's going to call us to, to live together, knitted together, woven together, bound together, because he knows that's the only way the church is supposed to exist. He knows that's the only way the church will survive, and he knows that's the only way the believer will survive and the church with it. So as we move in, we see verse 1 where it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Losidia. I looked at it like six times, and I don't think I've said it wrong every time. Just move past it. And for all who have not yet seen my face. So in verse 1, he is really just adding on to verse 29 of, of chapter 1 where it says, For I toil and struggle with you with the energy and the powerfulness of works within me. And then he carries on to, For I want you to know how great of a struggle. And what he's doing is he's working out He's pinning out his prayer life for the New Testament church. Paul was a prayer warrior. Paul uh, absolutely understood that the most powerful thing he could do was not pin books, but to speak to his God. He understood that, yes, I've been called to, to plant churches. I've been called to, to write down theologies and write letters to churches. But the first and most important thing I, I can do for something I care and something I love is to pray for them. And he prayed for them without ceasing. He called us to live a life of prayer without ceasing. And for, in the letter um, to the church at Thessalonica, Thessalonians. I'm hurting up here. Um, he called us to pray without ceasing. And when I first, uh, at the beginning of me, uh, maybe in high school or middle school, where I, said, where I thought pray without ceasing, that's not even a thing you can do. That's not even realistic. But as you break down Paul's life, he meant it because he lived a life of prayer. He lived a lifestyle completely in, in communication with his Savior and in the Spirit. He understood that though I'm in a Roman prison, and I'm not sure if I'll ever breathe free air again, the most important thing I can do for this specific church is to pray for them. And that is, that is a beautiful uh, prescriptive text. He's not saying, hey, you should just randomly pray for the church of Thessalonica. 
that church no longer exists. What he's saying is, if you actually care about it, if God is calling you to minister to it, if God is calling you to live your life um, for the growth of something in his name, you have to bend your knee and pray for it. And you have to pray for it without ceasing. There's an old adage that like, hey, um, if you really want to find out what you care about, open up your checkbook, right? That's what they used to say. Now we just like go online um, and, and see what you, you care about. But I don't even think that's true. You may, you may see some things you care about, but if you went online with me, you would just see bills and really a large quantities of food. Um, like really, like you said, like what does Tim really care about? No, I don't really care about Arby's. I'm just always there, and I'm always going to eat it. I eat Arby's like five times a week, and I think y'all think that's a joke. That's not a joke. That's just geographical like efficiency. It's right by my work. Um, but the truth is, you could look at our bank accounts, and you would see some things we like, some things we indulge in, but the majority of us, we're all like in our mid-30s with kids. You're just going to see a ton of bills that we wish we didn't have to pay. The truth is, and we can see that in, in before our eyes in this scripture and all the scriptures penned by Paul, to actually find out what you care about or worry about, ask yourself what you're praying about. If you actually have a prayer journal that's consistent, or if we could read your mind and see what actually matters to chase, to jamin, to bear. What actually matters? It's what's going to force them to bend their knee. What, what, what are we actually worried about? Do we have like weird anxieties about work? Or are they, are they stressors? Or are they something that calls supplication? Because Paul calls us to pray and he calls us to supplicate. And prayer is, is a daily communication with, with our Savior and our Creator. But supplication is when you get on your knees and you cry out, Abba, Father, I need your help. So, as we move forward, when you hear him talk about his struggles and his toils and his dedication, what he's saying is, I genuinely care about this church. I, I have shed blood and tears for the New Testament church. I will ultimately lose my life for the New Testament church. So you can bet I'm praying about it. And then in verse 2, he moves together and says, I want you to be knitted together in love. Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all all the riches and fullness of assurances and understandings and the knowledges of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he says a lot there, right? He's calling us to be knit together in love. He's calling for unity. He's calling for us to be of the same mind, of the same love, to be side by side doing God's work together. And through that, he says we can have the full assurance and understanding and knowledge. But the important part of this sentence for me, which I underlined, was to reach. So if you're knitted together in love, it will help you reach the assurances, the, the understanding, and the knowledge. So what he's saying is, uh, it, it is a necessity for this room, whether it be the, the local church or the global church, to be knitted together in love. Because that is how your life is supposed to play out as a believer. That is how you are commanded to live uh, your faithfulness is through the actions of the local church and through obeying God's command, obeying God's calling for you to be part of that church is the door to understanding the assurances, is the door to understand the knowledge and the wisdom. Because while so many times we think we can a la carte wisdom and spiritual formation. So many times we think, hey, I really do want to be a part of some of the things my church do, does or some of the things my faith does or my religion or my denomination. I want to be a part of some of those. I mean, I don't want to live life together. I don't want to have awkward moments. I don't want to break bread. And what Paul is saying, is not, it doesn't work that way. 
You're going to be um, an awkward, incomplete person in your faith if you don't ascribe to live the life God's calling you to live. When he says, be a part of the body of Christ, in no way should we view that as an option. In no way should we say, hey, I really like about this grace thing, this peace that passes understanding thing. The idea that like um, that my Savior walks on water and He doesn't cast me into the problems to just cheer me through, but He walks to the problem. He walks through the struggle and He's going to walk alongside me so that I can struggle and enjoy. I like that idea, but man, I'm not going to dedicate my life to this thing. I just really want the best parts and I hope everything works out. And it's, it's a beautiful um, idea, just in no way backed up by Scripture or God. In this day of where we can make things our own, we can be independent, we can be self-reliant, all those things. And in and, and of themselves, some of those things aren't bad things, but they are complete lies if you think that's how your faith works. I don't have time to dwell there, but we're going to move on. That was really good. Y'all should write that down. <laughs> In verse 3, he talks about the hidden treasures, where he talks about the hidden treasure of, of, of God uh, let out to the Gentiles. And simply, that is God's redemptive plan. God's redemptive plan is for us to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and for Him to reconcile us to Him through His atoning blood. But here's the reality. We are blessed Gentiles because there were Gentiles for years, for, for decades, that didn't get that revealed to them. But we live under the new covenant that where Christ's blood has already atoned. Before you breathed your first air, it was a breath of atonement because Christ died for you. Verse 4, he says, I don't want anyone to delude you or to pause you. I don't want anyone to, to, to tell you different. I don't want anyone to tell you uh, or, or cast you to go astray. I want you to know the truth. Because Paul understood the real threat, similar to 2018, the, the real threat comes from inside the church. The real threat comes from a, 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 a disunified, that doesn't sound like a word, an ununified, I should have looked what up, but one of those words is the biggest threat to the church. Because right now, if someone came in and it was a completely crazy denomination with completely crazy thoughts, everyone would stand up and say, that's wrong. That's not right. Someone came in, if I started preaching that Christ rose on the fifth day and that he is one of many gods, it would probably be my last Sunday to preach before you because everyone here knows that it's false. But what Paul was saying and what he understood is the real truth isn't confrontation in itself of right or wrong of what we know our sound doctrines is. It's just slightly changing it to make it a little more palatable or slightly changing salvation or slightly changing who Christ is for the culture or, or for the time. Understanding that things kind of evolve, people evolve, and we always want to be on the cutting edge of, of, of palatableness. We want people to say, yes, we have this great thing, but yeah, society kind of changed. or See, the Colossae was going through the same thing we are going right now. They were getting hit up by Greeks, mystic Jews, uh, Romans, pagans, and they're all saying like, no, one thing doesn't have to be the only way. What if we kind of marry everything together? And what Paul was saying, hey, when they start trying to change your faith, when they start trying to tweak what you are, you have to understand that is wrong. That is, that is, there is one way to heaven. There is one way to salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. And anything aside from that is a lie. 
And then finally he ends up in verse 5 saying, I'm not with you in person, but I'm with you in spirit because we are, we are part of the body of Christ. We are called to live together in harmony, side by side, regardless if I ever see you again or not. We are in spirit because we are called to live the same kind of life. We are called to praise the same God. We are sustained by the same spirit and we are saved by the same Jesus. Like no matter where we are geographically, we are together in spirit because of the cause of Christ. All right, I'm going to do it. I can do this. Last week I had five points. I got to one of them. I got to half of the first one. And now I made one point. Uh, but it's super long. So we're just going to see how happens. And I find myself um, systematically turning into my father and my grandfather. I remember sitting in the pew so many times being like, I know their sermon because I looked at it and we're not even half, like we're not even a third through. Um, which is, it. but I remember thinking when I, actually I never said when I take over a church because I was like, I'll never be a pastor. That's for suckers and chumps. Um, <laughs> I still think that. I just now have coped with the fact that I'm, I'm y'all's sucker and y'all's child. And I love y'all dearly for it. Um, but when the Spirit moves, the Spirit moves. Now I can do this. So um, what Paul has, has laid down a lot of fire. He spit down some truth in that passage. Um, and there's a lot we could expound. But what I want us to camp out today is that we are knitted together in love. Things are going to come at us. Trials, tribulations, uh, uh, culture, um, do- denominational differences. There's a lot of things that can kind of tear us apart. And Paul knew that. Paul knew that in 63 AD when he penned this letter. And, and God knew that we would need this in 2018 when we were building his local church. And a lot of it's just cultural. Too many times today, we are torn apart, not from secularism, but by uh, the church being at odds with itself. Not being on mission, not understanding that we all have the same goal, that we all have the same criteria of how we're trying to live our life. We have a lot of believers who think they don't even need the local church. They love what Paul writes about in Romans. They love a Savior who forgives all sins once and for all. They love the sound of that. That sounds like a beautiful, romantic thing. They don't like accountability. They don't like consistency. They don't like being a part of something bigger. But they think, I, mean, I, I, I want to be a part of some of the things that Christ lays out. I love the idea of angels or spirits. I like the idea that it, it, there is something out there moving me and helping me. But I just don't want to be a part of the church. And anyone who calls God his father has to call the church his mother. Like, they're, they're synonymous. The idea that you can be a, a born-again believer um, but have uh, some notion in you that you don't need to be a part of a church or you shouldn't be a part of a church is in no way backed up by Scripture. And I know that's controversial. There's a lot of people that think, no, you don't understand how wrong the church is, how broken the church is. I've been in church for 31 years. I know exactly how broken it is. It is messed up. You know why? Because it's, it's completely comprised of sinners and broken people. But the reality is, uh, through the unity of the body of Christ, through the church being on the same page for the same calling, is where you see beautiful healing, is where you see spiritual formation. We are called to be a part of God's local church, thus we are a part of the global church. I hope that we've all lived in the last few years together enough to realize that no one is here on their own accord. Right? Everyone has a beautiful story that leads them to this point. 
I, 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 a long time ago, I used to think that things just kind of worked out beautifully because, you know what, I just got good luck. Or, hey, you see how that worked out? That was crazy. And then the older I get, I realize that we just serve a sovereign God that's, that's playing chess while the rest of us are playing checkers. Everyone in here is called for a specific time, for a specific place, and for a specific people, and it's Oak Cliff, Texas. It's Trinity Church. Everyone is here because they are a faithful son and daughter of the one true God and have answered that call and continually show up. One of the things I love about Paul's writing is because uh, they work in tandem with each other. So one of my favorite books, probably my favorite book in the Bible as far as what just uniquely speaks to me is is Paul's letter um, to the church at Philippi and where he writes in Philippians. And a lot of the language he's using where we're supposed to be knitted together, woven together in love, you see him expound on in the book of Philippians. Like 1 Philippians 27, uh, we've we've said it a lot because I love the way how, I love the the phrase he uses, manner of life, and how he's called us to live a manner of life worthy of the gospel. So we've, we've preached a lot, but I want to actually focus on the second portion of that sentence, where in Philippians 1.27, where he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that so whether I see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing in one accord with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He understands that life is hard. Building a church is hard. Being the person God's called you to be is hard. And he's telling us right now, the only way you can do that is strive together side by side. I need you. You need me. We will not make it on our own. The unity of the church, the unity of the believer is what it takes to grow God's church. A house divided cannot stand because it's not on mission. And this is not me calling you out and say, hey, everyone in here needs to be besties. Don't hear that. You're just going to set yourself up for false uh, hope and failure when you don't get the invite to dinner. Right? So I think a lot of us get into that. Like if we go to the same church and we're part of the same people, we have to automatically love each other and we don't see anyone's fault, anyone's faults. And it's never going to be awkward. It's never going to be nasty. It's never, that's not how human nature works. What it's saying is you've been called for a specific time. So what binds you together is ultimately stronger than anything that could ever tear you apart. Because what binds us together is the gospel of Christ. We are knitted. We are woven. We are bound in love. Love that was displayed for us on the cross. 1 Corinthians talks about some beautiful language, which, what, what comprises love. It's patient. It's kind. There's all of these things that lay out what love should be because we've seen it first by a Savior. So Christ uh, um, laid out. He, he built out what actual love is. It's selfless. It, it, it's sacrificing. It, it, is, it is loyal up until death. Death on a cross. And us seeing that love now is an example of how we should, we are Christ-like, right? We belong to the way of Christ. Christ is the ultimate uh, uh, example of what love is. And through understanding that gospel love, that's how we treat each other. And through understanding how we treat each other, we are knitted together in love. And through understanding 
understanding how we are knitted together. It's how we are supposed to live our life so we can have the wisdom of the Spirit and how we live out the growth of God's local church. Everything is connected and everything comes back to gospel love. The love of Christ's salvation reconciled us to God, thus reconciling us to each other. I'm going to say that again because I think we need to hear that. Uh, really, not maybe not specifically for this room, but for this community and, and for this time in America. God reconciled, or God, Christ's death reconciled us to God, making it possible for us to be reconciled to each other. We are all broken. We are all going to let each other down. We are all going to hurt each other's feelings. We are all going to be rude and hateful. But there is a chance of reconciliation because of Jesus Christ. Our sins were paid for. Our sins were bought with a price, thus giving us the opportunity to love better, to love each other better. First, uh, sorry, Philippians 2 does a better job of talking about how does that, what does that look like though? Because so many times you hear stuff and you think, man, I really like what you're teaching. I have no clue how to play that out in my life, but I really like the idea of what you're teaching. So if you look in Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, Paul writes, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any, partic- any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant as yourself. So I used to read that and think, man, that sounds great. I do most of my things out of selfish ambition, and I'm not even sure what conceit means. So here, we break it down for you. The Bible, Christ's love, all of that paints a picture for you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, since the next time we see each other, that this world is not about you. Your actions are not about you. Now, I'm not, te- I'm not calling you to be self-deprecating. Hear me out. Don't let someone trick you into thinking you can, you can move these words around to, be, to mean something else. When he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, it's the craziest thing. He means do nothing. Don't do anything that puts the, 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 the pride of your heart above the cause of someone else. And here's another thing, conceit. If you look it up, it means a lot of things in 2018. But when Paul wrote it, it means you can't be happy when someone you don't like doesn't, doesn't uh, get the things they want. Let me break that out a little different. So say you belong to a political party or a, an activist group or you have certain desires. It sh- and something else goes wrong for your counter-opposite. Whether it be your arch nemesis, whether it be someone you don't like. Paul is saying, when someone you don't like, someone that's wronged you, someone that you're in complete opposition to, when something happens to them negatively, you don't get to be happy about it. That hits me where, my, where I live. because I'm, I'm, I'm selfish because I'm human. I'm pretty selfish because I'm an American. Um, but overall, I feel like, you know, I like to put others first. I, I've built my life around service. I enjoy being your preacher. So maybe I can trick myself enough to think that I'm not self-absorbed or I don't do anything out of selfish ambition. That's not the truth, but it's easy to think. But man, do I enjoy when people that get at me get theirs. Right? 
Like, no, every one of you, like, I, I'm the only one then. That's great. Let's close in the prayer. Every one of you is like, man, I don't want bad things to happen to fill in the blank. But when they do, I'm getting my popcorn ready. And I'm going to watch them. Our whole entertainment system is watching train wreck after train wreck. The whole, that's how gossip works, right? Gossip works because you want people you don't genuinely like to be to have bad things happen, and then you and your friends are going to talk about, man, did she have that coming? Man, he, he made that bed. Now he gets to lay in it. Paul is saying, you can't act that way and call yourself a Christian. Paul is saying, he, he's keeping the stakes high. He's saying, you don't get to operate out of self-ambition. You don't get to operate out of conceit. You don't get to operate out of anything we know to be fun and awesome and still call yourself a a follower of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price, leading us to have the example of we are called to sacrifice. We are called to live a life that's not about us. And hear me out. Keep feeding your kids. Keep paying the mortgage because you need a roof. Keep going to the grocery store. Keep paying your bills. I'm not saying that like, hey, well, I'm just going to sell everything and move to Africa. Don't do that unless God's calling you to do it. Then get to selling your stuff. God is calling us to live a life that is not about us. But the second we, we, we grasp that, the second that we understand that it's not about us, that it's about Him, we can actually live in unity. We can actually live in love. And it's, it's, a most, it's, it's the craziest time. I don't think we've ever... I'm sure pastors have saying this for like 40 years. But I feel like we don't live, we've never lived in a more polarizing time than we do right now. Can I get an amen that has to be the most truthful thing I've said? Right? Like, it's, it's, it, we're three weeks away from election season, so I don't know if you've noticed, but social media has gotten super awkward. Like, you know where people, you think you know someone until they go on a Facebook rant. You're like, dude, unfriend. I got nothing to love for you, but I don't need that in my life. Facebook is a great place to show me pictures of your kid. Facebook is a horrible place for you to tell me what you think about American politics. Right? And so many times, um, we, we draw the lines. We, we, have, we have so much division in our country. We have so much division in the American church because we've lost sight of the most important thing. And if you hear anything about what I say tonight, hear this. What binds us together, which is the love of Christ, is stronger than anything that could ever tear us apart. So just think, what, what, what divides America? What divides the church? The first thing that pops in my head to is race, black and white. It's the most divisive thing um, that we know in, in American culture right now. And then it splinters from there, but a lot of our problem right now is rooted in that. And, and to that point, I've had to stand behind this podium this year and say, anything that deals with supremacy, whether it be this race, this race, or that race, anything that deals with supremacy is in direct opposition to the gospel of Christ. We believe in the Imago Dei doctrine, which says everyone, everyone was made in the image of God, and they are to be loved, they are to be respected, and they are to be valued. The fact that I have to preach on that tells you that we're not where we need to be as a society, and we're not where we need to be as a church. But what binds us together is stronger than anything that could ever tear us apart. 
whether you're a Democrat or Republican, an activist, an isolationist, whatever you want to call yourself, wherever you're going to vote, whatever you're going to do, I'm telling you, it, it honestly doesn't matter because you're, 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 li- you're, you're viewing yourself in the wrong light. You're looking yourself through the wrong Lens. You are first and foremost a child of God. I'm not saying don't do your civic duty. I'm not saying you shouldn't be informed of the world you live in. I'm not saying that. I'm saying all those things are great, but they are subsection D of the reality of where you actually live. But you are a child of God, and you are called to God, grow God's local church. And we are believers in Jesus Christ before we are anything else. Which means you, sh- you have more in common with an Iranian Christian than you do a non-believing coffee drinker in Oak Cliff. Hear that out. You have more in common with an Iranian Christian than any non-believer in Dallas, Texas. Amen. And we have to understand that. We have to believe that. We have to say, hey, there's one team. And here's the thing. It's not even like this or that, because we do a lot of addition through subtraction. It's the same thing as conceit and self-ambition. It's the same thing as, like, I don't have to be great. I have to tear you down. Or we, we work in a zero-sum game. That's how politics works right now. I don't need to win. I need you to lose. Because there's only two teams, and you lose, I'm the winner. That's how we view our entire life. There is two, there is one way to lose, and it's not to live out your life through what you've been called to do for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The real loss is when we don't bring the loss to the throne of Christ. You are looking for justice in places you will never find it. You are looking for unity in places you will never find it. The political system in America will never bring you unity and justice because it's not ordained. It is not called. It is not run with the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. No matter what activism, no matter what... uh, new laws or, or, or what, what is turned over in the American justice system. And I'm part of it. I'm from the inside telling you, if you look to us for justice and hope, we will fail you every time. Hope comes from one place, from true reconciliation, from the cause of Christ and our Savior, Jesus. I've said some really hot topic things. I like to call them HSOs, hot sports opinions, where you just hit people up with the truth and you sit down and let them sing. Um, I want you to know that I have been burdened from birth with what I like to call myself the truth teller. Some, like I like to spit truth. I like to hit people where they live. And not so much because I'm a shock jock, but because I feel disingenuous if I don't tell you what I'm thinking. If I don't preach what God's put on my soul, I have failed you and I have failed the cause of Christ. So nothing I've said today um, have I said to be shocking or to be offensive. I think I've said it because it's the gospel truth. So hear me out. We are unified through God's blood. Live out your life accordingly. You've been called to get shoulder to shoulder with the believers, uh, of specifically of Trinity Church, and build God's local church so we can bring the lost to the throne of grace. We pray over us in addition to come up and say, God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to... Just open up your word and to see how we are supposed to live. God, it is easy to call us to unity, but it is hard to live it out. God, I pray that as we live out this week, as we as we go out into our different circles and our different groups and our different jobs, that we may see others as you would want us to see them, that we would do nothing after selfish ambition or conceit, but we would look at them as a brother and sister of Christ or someone who needs to know their Savior. 
God, I pray that we work together for, for your grace and for your glory. I pray that Trinity Church um, would, would unify, would be bound, would be knitted, would be woven together in God's love. And through God's love, we do your work. I pray all these things in your name.